0: We don't have a donor-care relationship team. We have a hospitality team. And our hospitality team is about caring for our patrons. And that means interacting. We are in constant communication.
1: Michael McDonald is a former restaurateur from Edmonton, Canada, which by the way, is the coldest place I've ever been. While working in the hospitality and restaurant business, he felt a tug to work in the nonprofit world, which eventually resulted in working with The Bible Project. But those hospitality roots stuck with him, and the skills he learned during his time in the hospitality business have helped the Bible Project build and maintain a thriving crowdfunding model. The last time I checked, it was about 80% of our funding
0: came from those patrons that are $50 or less, not
1: the other way around. In this episode, we'll learn how Michael and The Bible Project built a community of generosity and how their culture has been able to perpetuate and build upon that spirit of innovation that was responsible for their initial growth and success. Welcome to Future Nonprofit, a podcast about what it will take to build and scale the nonprofit of tomorrow. I'm your host, Ted Vaughn, partner at Historic and author of Culture Built My Brand, Join me as we unpack the stories and lessons of today's most innovative leaders. Michael's story begins at a restaurant chain in Canada where he served as the general manager. Wolfgang
0: Puck was selling a chain of his called Kachina Kachina here in the Pacific Northwest, Seattle, Portland. There was an opportunity to buy eight restaurants for our company up in Canada, which is called Joey. And I moved down to Portland to be a part of that, kind of bringing the concept down to the States. And so new opportunity, you know, new
1: challenges, all that kind of stuff. So it's exciting. Among those challenges was a new audience to market to and a new community to listen to, understand, and learn from.
0: We did not just come down
1: and change the name to Joey. We had a lot of things to learn about
0: the American market. People often think that Canada and the U.S. is just its probably just the same. It's very
1: different. This taught Michael a critical lesson that he's carried with him throughout his career. The challenge of learning about a new audience and understanding how to connect with them in a memorable and positive way is essential to profitability. And for nonprofits, learning and understanding your audience is the cornerstone of building a community. It's important to constantly be thinking about what your audience reacts to and how you can improve their experience. Getting back to Michael's story, Bringing Joey down south was a welcome task, and he learned a lot from it, but the timing in his personal life led him to reevaluate what he actually wanted from his career. I did it for about a year and a half,
0: and during that time, some personal stuff happened. I was engaged, and that engagement broke
1: off that was painful and had me kind of thinking about, you know, what am I doing? During that difficult time, another opportunity surfaced that Michael felt compelled to follow.
0: And a buddy of mine, a guy named Don Miller, wanted to start a nonprofit called The Mentoring Project because he was writing a book about growing up without a dad. That was my story. I grew up without a dad. Hey, it's me, Don Miller, and uh, I wanted to tell you about a campaign that we're running at The Mentoring Project for kids growing up without dads. My dad left when I was three. I had a really gnarly, abusive stepdad. Anyways, Don's like, hey, I'm writing a book. I want to give a bunch of the proceeds to a nonprofit that's doing stuff with kids that are growing up without dads. He's like, can you help me either find a nonprofit or if we can't find one, let's start
1: one. And so we did. That nonprofit would come to be called the Mentoring Project.
0: We ended up handing it off to a a great guy who's running it now. But that was my entry from like the restaurant. It was like I had this restaurant experience, which was just business experience, really people experience, leadership experience, and move that into this nonprofit space. And that kicked me off on a journey where then... I started a number of other nonprofits and just kind of kept helping find ways to serve in the community. And then there was the Bible
1: Project idea.
0: Yeah, fathers would pass on their authority to the firstborn as the rightful heir of the family estate.
1: But what if the firstborn son isn't the most qualified?
0: What if they're bad for the job? History has shown that firstborns often abuse their birthright, using it for personal gain, leading to conflict and violence. But interestingly, in the story of the Bible, God consistently overturns this cultural norm. Really? Yeah, from the beginning, God regularly selects the younger sibling, the latecomer, and gives them the birthright.
1: The Bible Project is an EdTech company with 3.4 million YouTube subscribers. They make animated explainer videos that take complex ideas from the Bible and turn them into simple, digestible pieces of content.
0: Our aim is to help people experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. That's our mission statement. We've got values, obviously, inside of that. And we're making things for people that if you want to read the bible and if you don't that's cool if you do though and you want to understand
1: it we just want to help you do that the bible project was founded by two friends tim mackey a bible scholar and pastor and a friend of michael's named john collins an ed tech professional
0: john actually made like some of the very first explainer videos that that we can even think of like he would do it for google and apple and these different tech companies and then the idea was is like well why don't we take tim's Brilliant Bible knowledge and John's incredible explainer knowledge, and start doing that when it comes to the Bible.
1: The Bible Project was unique right from its inception. It seemed more like an independent YouTube channel than a traditional nonprofit, and the response of those early viewers formed the foundation of the Bible Project's success this was really just like a passion project
0: of theirs in the beginning and it was let's just make a video a year two videos i don't know however many we can make they made the first few just through a few friends that kind of gave to make it happen and then threw them up on the internet threw them up on youtube and just said hey listen if if these are helpful then throw some money in the hat like five bucks ten bucks whatever you want and we'll make more we'd love for this project to stay free but we need your help and you can help us in two ways. One, you can help donate to the current video in production. We have a goal that we're trying to reach for each video. Once we hit that goal, boom, we're gonna get it moving. Or secondly, we're looking for monthly supporters who will chip in a little bit and help us on our production schedule. Even a couple dollars helps. And our goal is to get 5,000 monthly subscribers who are funding this entire effort.
1: Fortunately for them, the viewers did want more and they were willing to fund the project. But this was before crowdfunding platforms like Patreon had really taken off, which meant they would have to build the infrastructure to make it possible. We
0: built our own
1: ecosystem app
0: on our website to basically say, hey, five bucks, ten bucks, whatever you want. They were always going to be free. Unlike Patreon, like you didn't need to pay to see it. They were always going to be free. We put them up on YouTube.
1: Because of the early success they saw with this model, the Bible Project made this their main funding strategy instead of traditional nonprofit approaches.
0: We've never done a gala.
1: We've never done an ask. Other really? than, never, never once. Never done a gala, never done traditional classic nonprofit kinds of, it's all been this crowdsourced, crowdfunded. 100% crowdfunded. And it will continue to be that. Yeah, we do have some,
0: some, you know, larger patrons or foundations, et cetera. But even those, we've never gone to a foundation and asked for money. It's only ever been the foundation has said, hey, we like what you're doing,
1: could we help in some way? What's even more impressive is that this community crowdfunding model mitigates their reliance on large donations. The last time I checked, it was
0: about 80% of our funding came from those patrons that are $50 or less not the other way around. And it's often, if you've worked in non, and I've worked in a nonprofit. it's usually the other way around. You've got about 20% of your folks that fund the majority of your work, and then you've got some smaller type giving. What's the average age in that, in that scope? I think it's somewhere between like 18 and 35.
1: And these small donors are funding a pretty large budget. This year it'll be about 25 million. Remember the adage, don't put all your eggs in one basket? So many nonprofits do the opposite, increasing their reliance on large donations from a few major donors. But that model doesn't fare well when the economy hits hard times. Crowdfunding has helped the Bible Project avoid the extreme consequences during economic downturns. Think about your fundraising model. Are you prepared for unexpected changes? Do you have diverse revenue streams that can fuel the mission through traditional and non traditional strategies? Depending on your nonprofit, you may be able to increase your revenue through one or more of these ideas, in-person or virtual events, launching an online store, cultivating more major gifts, membership dues or fees, grants or program-related investments, or community activation. Remember, the more you can engage donors and members of all levels, the stronger your community will be and the more diverse your sources of funding. What's wild
0: is during the pandemic and during times when you see the stock market go down or when a lot, again, I've been a part of nonprofits where it's like, you know, 2008 happens and you lose 50% of your your funding because they're just like, I don't know if we're going to be able to give a million dollars this year. But when you're talking 20, 30, $40 a month in reoccurring giving, those people aren't just like bouncing because the stock market hit. They might not even be in the market. So it doesn't even impact them.
1: So you've got $25 million budget, 80% of that is being given by a young millennial age giving small gifts that can scale up if you compel them to. What if somebody said, I want Bible Project to be at 50 million? Would you need to shift into more of a major donor mindset or would you just keep doing what you're doing? We would keep doing what we're doing. I mean, if uh, so, couple things.
0: One, we have been in positions in the past. I would say even two years ago, where if somebody said, "Hey, I've got a check for ten million, I want to give it to you," we would say, "No, we're good. Like, hold off. Like, here's a couple other. You know, we're just not ready to use that in a way that would would make sense." We now definitely are. We've made some changes in kind of where, when it comes to just technology and the app and where we're going in the future and some R&D stuff. There's some exciting things that if somebody said, hey, I got a check for 10 million. Could you use it? I'd be like, yep. And here's how we'll use it. Here's exactly what we'll do with it. Like, you know, here's kind of the outcomes but we just weren't out of space necessarily. So yeah, there's been lots of times we've said no to funds to come in because we didn't really see the need at that point to do it. I would say now, like if we could be a $50 million organization, we got lots of dreams and lots of ways to kind of get into that, but we're also not charging after that. It's not like, let's be a 50 million. It's just, let's do what we're doing. If it continues to be helpful, then people will continue to support it and we'll keep doing more stuff, like that's it. And if people stop giving to it, we'll do something new.
1: Not every nonprofit should scale or innovate in the same manner. The Bible Project was at a unique situation that gave them the readiness and capacity to build a crowdfunding model. What dynamics do you need to consider in your own brand, community, and leadership as you seek to scale your fundraising model? Small donations are a great way to stay resilient, but fostering a community of small donors, or patrons as Michael calls them, takes intention and strategy and isn't without some risk. What we do know is that building a sense of community and connection to the organization is critical for this approach to work. And to build that community, Michael took inspiration from his restaurant industry roots.
0: Our CEO, Steve Atkinson, and I talk about this quite a bit because we've both been in service industries before, but like my favorite book is Setting the Table. It's an old hospitality book, but it's still a classic. I still have my team read Setting the Table because I feel like this is it doesn't matter what industry you're in, but especially in the nonprofit industry, like how do we just care for these people, not just the people we're serving, but the people that are actually allowing us to go and and do this. We don't have a donor care relationship team. We have a hospitality team and our hospitality team is about caring for our patrons. And that means interacting. We are in constant communication. We get hundreds of emails every day and we're responding to all of those personally. We're not just doing you know, uh, one-offs. I probably send 100 video messages a day to different patrons and people that are commenting in and I just do them on my iPhone and they're like one minute and I send them off.
1: Let's flag that, 100 video messages a day to people who are patrons
0: and partners patrons strategic relationships friends like people that are engaging with it writing Man. comments whatever it's like an hour and a half a day it's not that when you think about like what these people are doing and a part of it's really not a massive investment but it means something because it's it's we're connected that way yeah and then actually getting back to emails in a timely fashion if a patron or even just anybody is emailing us with a question or a thought, even if we don't have the response, we want to respond within that day, you know, like 48 hours at the worst, but like the hope is, is like by the end of the day, we're kind of at least going, Hey, great question. Let me get back to you. Even if that's what it is, just that they know that they're heard they're in it. So I, we just want it to feel more like a relationship and less like a transaction. And a transaction is a, you know, blanket email that goes out, thanks for the email, whatever. But a relationship, I would never do that for my uncle. I would never do that for my mom, I never do that, you know. And so we wanna try not to do
1: that in this space as well. Building strong relationships with supporters takes time, consistency, and a dedicated strategy. Because even if your donors have a strong connection to the mission, they will have a hard time connecting to a message that is transactional and simply asking them for more money. And it goes beyond how you communicate. To build a community that cares about the success of your nonprofit requires giving donors meaningful opportunities to engage in ways that create value and pull on their heartstrings. That's why the Bible Project is so intentional about their messaging and interactions with their community.
0: That word strategic relationships was purposeful. We decided not to go with the word partnership because partnership can mean a lot of things. Partnership can mean like we're in cahoots, we're connected. Again, this is I'm in the Bible space, so this depends on what market you're in. But in our space, there's a lot of opinions all over the place. And so if I have a strategic partnership with one person, it means a bunch of things. Like it means like I believe this, I am teaching this. So we had to kind of go, we're not going to be partners with anybody, We'll be in relationship with lots of people because being in relationship doesn't mean that I have to agree with everything you say and you have to agree with everything I say.
1: To successfully build and deploy an effective message, the Bible Project needs to have a foundational understanding of their end user, their donor. Then build a strategy that shows empathy for that end
0: user. If you want to read the Bible and you want to understand it better, then we have things that'll help you. And that's me. Like that's all anybody that... Is in that space, and so what's a little bit unfair is like I know the end user because I'm the end user. I feel like they're making the videos for me. Every time we launch a new video, I'm not watching it because I'm like, "Yeah, we did a launch." I'm watching because I'm like, "Oh, this is going to help me understand Genesis, or this is going to help me understand whatever." First book in the Bible is a book you've probably heard of. It's called Genesis. Genesis comes from a Hebrew word. uh, It's pronounced "reshit," and it just means beginning.
1: Michael does acknowledge the Bible Project's unique advantage when it comes to building that relationship among their patrons and end users.
0: Whenever I'm talking to other nonprofits, because I've also been in the space, though, where it's like, I've got to raise funds to do this, rescue kids out of sex trafficking in Thailand that Jimmy is never going to meet or see or ever experience. So I've got to somehow appeal in that kind of sensationalist aspect to get money from you to go do this job over here. With Bible Project, it's like I'm— giving some funds, and I'm totally receiving a rad product uh, and getting to continue to engage. So listen, it's unfair.
1: (laughs) I totally get it. That doesn't mean this crowdfunding model can't be successful for other organizations. It just means different organizations will have different starting points based on their mission, their values, differentiation, and other unique factors that might provide an unfair advantage.
0: Yeah, I've definitely helped a number of other products since then. It definitely helped. And and they've seen a lot of success in the crowdfunded model. But you do have to change the way that you engage your crowd. It does have to be a community. You have to invite them into the process. You've got to listen to them. You've got to engage. I think also finding ways to help them engage wherever they're at. So, for instance, mm-hmm. one thing with, like, if I'm going to be giving towards human trafficking prevention and rescue and everything else in Thailand... I should be doing stuff here in Portland around that space. And what are some things that I can do here in Portland and also be a part of it in Thailand? Bob and I were helping out with some refugee camps up in northern Iraq um, during the whole ISIS scenario. People were giving to that, but we were then also saying like, well, you just also we've got a lot of refugees here in Portland. Like what would it look like to actually step into their lives? Lots of Afghan re- refugees and Iraqi refugees and Kurdish refugees. And so all of a sudden we started seeing people like actually getting into those relationships here and then it continued to you know, uh, filter growth in the global aspect as well. And so I think it's engagement. I think it's relationship. I think it's community. And I know those are all just buzzwords, but I just, I think it's super important, especially on the crowdfunding side of things. <laughs>
1: All of this talk about building community and camaraderie with your supporters and end users is incredibly important if you wanna succeed with a crowdfunding model. It's also something you should be doing regardless of your funding strategies. But still, there is something underneath all those efforts that will determine whether or not these engagement tactics are effective. The internal culture of your organization has everything to do with how your external community will see you. An emphasis on internal culture is yet another strategy that Michael adopted from his restaurant experience.
0: Whether you're a brand new hire, whether you're a person doing development on an app or language, you know, localization. We want every single person to understand the why, the vision, the mission, the values that we have. And we do that from the very ground up. And I learned that definitely from the restaurant because otherwise people just come in and they think, I'm here to serve tables, make my tips and get out of here. And that isn't going to differentiate you from every other restaurant that's out there. And people have a lot of choice and a lot of different places they can spend their money. We always wanted to kind of be that place that my worst server was better than the best server at the restaurant beside me. That was my goal.
1: Just like Michael wanted all of the staff at his restaurants to understand the values and feel a part of the mission, the Bible Project is steadfast in communicating their values to their team.
0: Our first value is generous. That's just an, that's an easy one because we're giving away our stuff for free, but we wanna be generous. The second one is humble. We're not the oldest kid on the block. There's been people that have been doing this for a long time before us that have lifted up and, and allowed us to even be in this space. And so we constantly just feel like we're still the new kids, just a lot of learning thoughtful we just want to be really thoughtful with wisdom around that kind of stuff and then unhurried you know these are our own timelines we don't we don't want to be a startup for 30 years and that's what it can feel like sometimes when you're like mm-hmm. just constantly chasing after the next thing or the next dollar or the next growth is you can literally be if you've ever taken a company public it's a wild ride for those few years But, like, if you do that for 10 years, you're just gonna be burnt out and hate what you do, and it's just a job. Whenever we're trying a new thing, if we're going into a new product, if we're going into a new marketplace, if we're whatever it is, we are running it through that grid. Like, how are we being generous in this space? How are we being humble in this space? How
1: are we being unifying? This cultural foundation isn't just about creating a unified community and brand, although that's a very important goal. It's also a key strategy in how the Bible Project continues to be innovative and push the envelope of what it means to be a modern nonprofit operating with an eye on the future.
0: It's not just John and Tim and Steve and myself coming up with ideas and having the team execute it. We've got a lot of br- incredibly talented, way more brilliant than me, way more brilliant than, you know, any of us that are coming up with like, hey, here's what we're seeing. Here's what we want to work on. A lot of the animation styles have come up from the animation teams where we've been like, hey, what do you want to work? What do you want to grow in? Like what type of animation? And they're like, you know, what would be really cool. What if we did this? Listening to the team, having a really good dynamic that's not just top down. Our org chart's flipped upside down, so we actually have the CEO at the bottom and then kind of the C-suite folks next, and then it kind of goes up. And we know that's just, like, that's a visual, but it's a visual to share. Like, our job is to serve the team and be hospitable to that team. And if and that team ends up becoming
1: incredible at coming up with a lot of these innovative ideas. Creating an environment that encourages the ideas of every team member is the first step. The second step is creating a system that allows those ideas to naturally flourish.
0: There definitely is shifts that happen as you grow and more... Um, all of a sudden you're talking 140 staff and you're talking if we make big risks and it doesn't work out, are we now like kicking people to the, like there's, there is definitely more pressure for, for folks as things grow. That said, we definitely try to still keep some jet ski type movements. And so I, I kind of use the analogy, like you've got the cruise ship. And I think that is our explainer videos and our podcast. Like that's, it's going a direction and we know what we're doing. If people stop giving to that, we'll maybe change change course. But for now, it's kind of like it's on its trajectory. And then we've got these little jet skis off the side that are like R&D type things that we're like, let's go try this. And if we get a bunch of traction, then we'll we'll run with it. For me and strategic relationships, Bob Goff and I have done these things called dream big. And we would take people through these um, kind of like helping them get unstuck with their big ideas. And one of the analogies we use is those ponies that you see, if you ever go to the fair and you see like the eight ponies and you've got the little water gun and you're squirting. And at one point, one pony is like way ahead, but like somebody, if they'd nail it, like all of a sudden this one's like way over here. Our thing is, is like have eight ponies in the race and then just pick the fastest pony to be on. And if it changes, jump onto the other one. So a strategic relationships, I got eight lines in the water and I don't know if any of them are going to go. And one might be moving a little faster right now, so I'm putting more energy into it. But if, like, another one takes off, I'm going to invest
1: there. And so we've got a bunch of those jet skis, and we got the cruise ship. Since the beginning of the Bible Project, their strategy of listening and honing in on what works has been a driving factor of their success and growth. As leaders, it can be so easy to get excited about our own ideas and goals that we lose sight of what the organization we serve actually needs and what people really want. But true innovation solves real problems that exist today, not just tomorrow. The trick is finding the right solution. That's what the team at The Bible Project is constantly listening for. We've got a
0: lot of folks that are coming up with some some great stuff, and then we just got to give space to try things out. And if it gets traction, then we'll do more of it. Just like our videos. I mean, listen, if nobody gave five bucks in the hat and they got no views on YouTube, we'd all be doing other things. And that wouldn't be bad. It would just say the market isn't looking for this. I think too often, especially in the nonprofit space, and I've been in these where you create something, it has some success, and then it starts to slow down, and then you start clamoring for it to be what it used to be, and what it used to be just might not be what the world needs right now. I think if, for some reason, funding stopped tomorrow, we'd stop making explainer videos because it would show that the world doesn't care about explainer videos anymore. And we'd be okay with that. And we'd either go do something else or we'd
1: find out what the world is looking for. Given the incredible role video plays and the increasing role video plays and all the trends and shifts that happen in in how you consume video and the edits and the... What does innovation look like in terms of the very product or service that you're providing?
0: One example I would say, like innovation wise, where we think things are going and could go is is like the Google Maps analogy. Like me and you are old enough to remember like driving down the road with a paper map. and it kind of is crazy nowadays to think. Like it's like out on the dashboard, you got the steering wheel. you're trying not to miss your turn. And then all of a sudden, like Google Maps came out, or like MapQuest even was like the next the next thing. And it could actually like, do your where you need to go and you'd hit print and then you would at least just have like one sheet that was a you know normal not obnoxious size to get you to where you're going and then google maps happens the smartphone happens and now when you look at maps it is like the most interactive experience it's not just a paper map in digital form it is like 3d buildings and and you know yelp is connected to it and what am i eating and reviews and you can personalize it, set filters, the angle, 3D. Do you yeah. want to
1: see traffic, toll roads?
0: All of that. It's this incredibly immersive flybys. Like you can go into San Francisco and it just does this whole fly. We do think that there's, what's the next stage for Bible when it comes to the digital world? Because right now what we have is like MapQuest. We basically have a analog product in digital form with maybe a couple little bells and whistles. Like that's it. And we think there's a space in the future for the Google Maps of the Bible. And what would it look like to create that? Where when you're not just you're engaging with the text, but with all of the like 3D and video and audio and, you know, whatever, explain like all the things that you could possibly see. So now that's probably five years out, but you've got to start thinking about it now and start working on it and R&Ding it now because five years will
1: be here before you know it. It's time to recap the big takeaways from our conversation with Michael. First, don't be afraid to buck traditions when it comes to funding. Economic conditions are unstable and it's important to build resilience into your model. Crowdfunding has served the Bible project well. Are there elements of crowdfunding your organization can implement? Here are four steps to get you started. Number one, evaluate your current streams of revenue. What's working and what's not working. Number two, Identify opportunities for new revenue streams. Look at what other nonprofits are doing and start dreaming about how you could adapt what they're doing for your own success. And number three, create a plan of action. Start small and set realistic expectations about what you can achieve and how long it will take. Number four, test your assumptions. Not every idea will work. Some of the initiatives you launch may fail. Accept that risk and be ruthless about measuring success. Your second takeaway, to better connect with your audience, look to the meaningful relationships in your life for inspiration. How would you listen to your loved one's thoughts and ideas? How would you help them feel heard or feel part of the process? Then apply those observations to how you connect with your donors and community members. And lastly, your internal culture will inevitably impact how well you innovate, Create a space where your team members' ideas are valued, then give those ideas room to grow. I'm Ted Vaughn, and this is Future Nonprofit. If you want to hear more stories from experts in the industry to learn how to take your nonprofit into the future, subscribe to the podcast and visit makehistoric.com. Future Nonprofit
0: is a production of Lower Street and Historic Agency. Produced by Jackie Lamport, Mark Miller, Ben Crannell, James Bladle, and Ted Vaughn. Written by Jackie Lamport and Katie Whitehorn. Edited by Ben Crannell. Visit futurenonprofit.com for a transcript of this episode.